Doth Protest Too Much is back, and this is kind of a um, last-minute episode I decided to do. Uh, it's going to be a fun episode. It's going to be a fun episode where we uh, do some critiquing. Uh, I, you know, I guess it's always easy to tear down than it is to build up, but we, we intend to do it in charity, and it's not going to be directed at any person, but at certain things that are just in the air and floating around social media on the topic of religion that we think just needs some... Um, some correction or some um, uh, bringing to light how the complexities at hand because in our age of social media people make reduce things to uh, simplification so anyways and you'll you'll you all will get what we are what what I'm saying when we get into when we dig into what we're going to do so but joining us today we have James back, James Rickenbaker. Thanks for being here again. And we have a guest, uh, Connor Longafee, who is a served in Lutheran ministry and also um, has a uh, podcast or hosts kind of several podcasts. He's part of Transcendent Truth Media. So, Connor, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and also uh, a little bit about Transcendent Truth? Sure. Well, first, uh, thanks, guys, for having me on um, on this episode. Uh, my name's uh, Pastor Reverend Connor Longfee, however you want to address me, uh, listeners, if you wanted to address me. Uh, <laughs> I'm a pastor in the Canadian Association of Lutheran Congregations here in Canada, which is a centrist uh, church body. It's a fellowship or an association rather than a denomination or something uh, of that sort. And I pastor in eastern Ontario here. Um, <clears throat> Transcendent Truth Media uh, comes out of, just to talk a little bit about what it is, just really briefly, is it comes out of the multimedia network of my synod, of Calc, um, and that was the Canadian Lutheran Gospel Network, and which still exists, and then uh, to gain more freedom, we, um, we launched officially last Reformation Day, Transcendent Truth Media Network, um, which does not have any direct ties to uh, our synod giving us more freedom to do whatever we wanted to do. So we have several podcasts there. We have a merch store. We have um, articles, blog articles, sermon feeds, and um, also uh, a publishing arm that's uh, coming this year. So lots of things going on there. And that's a, a confessional Lutheran multimedia network, all kinds of things over there. And uh, by and large, it's mostly centrist people in the centrist camp. Most of us are centrist to the right a little bit um just to give you a little taste of what's going on there but uh yeah lots of podcasts there uh, go and check us out at uh, www.transcendenttruthmedia.com if you want mm-hmm. to see some more if you wanted to and so your fellowship is uh probably uh similar to for american listeners american lutheran listeners who may be familiar with the lcmc or the nalc yeah or... more specifically with the lcmc yeah okay yeah 
No, yeah, LCMC is a little more loose. It's a loose, looser federation from what I understand than the NALC, which would be more of a denomination. So all this church lingo our listeners get to listen to. And a lot of our listeners, of course, know about, know these terms anyway. So sometimes it's always a balance of how, how, how much, what should I, you know, explain further for listeners? What can they just get, you know? Um, and then there's always Google. If, you, if we ever fail to uh, define these things, uh, to, or to explain these things. So the, the age we live in with the internet, which we're going to talk about today. So um, thanks again for being here, Connor. It's uh, great to have you. And so, uh, so as I said, this is a uh, last minute decision to do this episode. I wanted to get some people I knew together, um, people that had some theology training and who have served in ministry or currently serve in ministry. Um, and so uh, uh well, I'll just start from the beginning. I saw a meme the other day on social media that frankly just angered and frustrated me. Well, I saw a couple things on social media, but we're going to spend the first part uh, kind of breaking down a meme. And this meme, and I don't know if I have to define that. I think everyone knows what a meme is at this point. This meme had to do with religion uh, slash Christianity. And I'll just uh, go ahead and uh, explain what it is. It is a uh, picture, or I guess it's a picture of Jesus, a, a painting of a very Anglo white looking um, painting of Jesus uh, next to a picture of what would be like a recon, like a reconstruction of a first century Palestinian Jew, which Jesus was. And under the first picture I described, it says colonizer Jesus, very dramatic there, colonizer. And under the, under the other one, it says historical Jesus. So what this meme is doing is it's basically comparing, um, you know, what, how a lot of people mistake Jesus or who, who a lot of people mistake Jesus for or how, you know, people are creating Jesus in their own image in a certain way versus who Jesus actually was and who he was historically. Now, this isn't to say that we will craft, people do, people of all stripes, all political prejudices and ideologies will craft often Jesus in their own image or uh, think Jesus would endorse a certain thing when they're really just putting words in his mouth. I don't think any of us here would disagree, and I don't think anyone listening would disagree on that. Uh, but the meme, I think, was problematic because it assigns certain things under the categories of what colonizer Jesus the false Jesus would think, or what he believed in, what he stood for, versus what the historical Jesus was all about. Um, and so we're going to actually, and there's several points on this meme under colonizer Jesus and under historical Jesus. I'm going to put a screenshot or a picture of this meme just like in our, uh, we'll, we'll see if we have a video. Well, we don't, we won't have a video component to this episode because we just upload audio, but in our show notes, um, and we may even just make this the, 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 ep the episode picture of the meme. Um, but yeah, and if, you know, you could probably just Google colonizer Jesus versus historical Jesus meme to look, to find it. Um, but we're going to go through and break down everything uh, step by step. So um, but any, any initial thoughts, Connor or James, on this before we go through and break it down? Um, any initial thoughts on it? 
I, I had some pretty immediate thoughts. Um, <laughs> I bet. <laughs> I mean, like, just as an oversweeping comment, essentially what this meme is doing, and I, I assume at some point we'll read off um, basically all, all the things that it says. We will. Um, or yeah. I guess people can just look at the picture if you've uploaded it in the show notes or wherever. But essentially what it's doing is it's taking the orthodox perspective and theology uh, of Jesus, if one wanted to say that. And it's kind of, uh, maybe I, I won't use the word. It's not a cuss word, but it's, um, they are, um, yeah, I don't know a replacement for the word. They, <laughs> they are um, just uh, putting forth, can I say it? Can I say the word? It's not a cuss word. Yeah, go they're, ahead. they're bastardizing the quest for the historical Jesus. And they're, they're kind of spinning this um, bastardized historical Jesus thing in a way to say orthodoxy is... Um, a colonizing and colonizers myth mythology, which mm -hmm. drives colonization, which drives violence, which justifies holy war and racism and oppression and all of all of such things, which is a ridiculous sweeping claim to begin with. Mm -hmm. And then second of all, you have to deal with the fact that the quest for the historical Jesus is ridiculous in the first place. And I don't know if we'll have. Any oh, time yeah, well, to, I intend to maybe that, but... up front go through some of that, too, what uh, yeah. you know, um, James, well, before I want to get your initial thoughts too, James, but let me just read through to give, to pay more of a picture for, I mean, our, our listeners may be able to just pull it up and, and see it for themselves when I put it in the episode info, but I'll just, so, uh, this is, so colonizer, Jesus is white versus historical Jesus, who is Middle Eastern brown skin. We have colonizer Jesus, who is Christian versus historical Jesus, who's Jewish. We have colonizer Jesus, who's patriotic versus historical Jesus who's colonized by Rome. We have colonizer Jesus through, who stands for justice through re retribution. We have historical Jesus who believes in justice through restoration. We have colonizer Jesus who died for your sins versus the historical Jesus who is killed by church and state. We have colonizer Jesus who sends sinners to hell. We have historical Jesus who is friend of sinners and outcasts. We have colonizer Jesus, gosh, this is long. We have colonizer Jesus who is silent in the face of oppression. And we have historical Jesus who liberates the oppressed. We have colonizer Jesus who condemns sinners. We have historical Jesus who critiques religious people, and so on and so on. We're going to break it down a little bit, but I just wanted to paint more of a picture for people. And um, I just wanted to add like the true Jesus so the historical Jesus or the Orthodox Jesus, it's the same person, my, you know, he, there are things in both of these that fall under both of these headings that actually do apply to Jesus himself. And there's things under both of them that are highly distorted. That's what I would say um, on it. But James, uh, your initial thoughts on this meme. So I've seen this one for a couple of years, making the rounds on social media and, um, I find the whole thing, uh, as Connor was saying, you know, completely reductionist. Um, it, it's um, it's trying to um, it's trying to make Orthodox Christian believe, as Connor again was pointing out, into something that it's not, um, which is the property of white people. Um, and that is, I think, patently offensive to the global South. Who are um, who, who are absolutely orthodox theologically, 
and would find um, rather a lot of what's said under the colonizer Jesus uh, stuff or under the historical Jesus stuff to be a distortion of what they believe. So this meme in and of itself could fall prey to a form of colonization. Mm-hmm. And that's that's part of the problem. So memes are almost always terrible for theology. Yes. And this one is uh, this one is a great example of terrible theology. Yeah. Beautifully said. You know, I think we'd probably just end the episode. Because, I'm just kidding. Uh, because that really just uh, really just nails it. Um, but yeah, I, you know, social media discourse combined with meme culture. I mean, you know, for all the blessings of the internet, we know, we also see how complex issues, complex ideas, you know, religion aside, complex beliefs of things get reduced. Um, be, you know, it's, it has a reductionist tendency, social media discourse. Um, and people are often one-dimensionalized. You know, we, we have la- labels for people. You're a turf, you're a Chad. You know, I don't even know what some of these things mean. And I've been called these just for trying to contribute an alternative perspective you know, I usually try to be charitable about it, but, um, you know, there's a dehumanizing aspect to the way we interact on social media. And a lot of it is keyboard courage, you know, and again, I've been as guilty of it as anyone, uh, but at least I'll recognize it. I'll try to clean up my act for a year before I give in to an impulsive jab, uh, you know, to my next impulsive, you know, <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's, um, really any kind of constructive dialogue on this stuff on on religion especially uh, it's not really possible through social media platforms um at at least not in the form of quick soundbite and short video culture Um, people aren't really communicating on social media Um, i actually read something recently said you know the 20th century may have been the age of communication the 21st century internet culture is the age of broadcasting. So we're not communicating, we're broadcasting at each other, uh, basically. Um, So, you know, I think we should, you know, the reason I think we should break this down is because, um, like James said, I've seen this meme the past like two, maybe three years. Every time, it's always Easter. I mean, it's like Easter, it's like, Easter is like basically become the, the Christian holiday for the secular world. Um, and uh, I, I, I've seen it shared by individuals and in groups, groups that are not religious. Um, and, you know, most people probably, do, you know, don't really have much interest in it anyways, the people, you know, but they think it might make a good point. Well, and, see, for me, primarily the folks that share this are clergy. Oh, see, and that's, that's just embarrassing. That, that's been my experience as well. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So... Um, you know, I, I think it, it is kind of our duty, you know, a pastoral duty in a sense, because we're ministers, but I think um, just the duty of, of someone, anyone who has an education or experience or walk in life, where they know that this isn't the full story, what is presented here in this meme, which is, which is crafted in a certain way to make a point. I think, you know, Connor first touched on it. This is, there's an agenda there. This is ideological, what is behind the meme. So uh, but let's first get into the what's what's the problem with even labeling because again this meme compares colonial Jesus to historical Jesus or sorry colonizer Jesus versus historical Jesus. Um, first off, let's 
briefly go over what are the problems, um, what are possibly the value of, 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 you know, determining historical Gs, but also like what are just, what have been some problems with that um, historically? People have tried to seek out who was the historical Jesus. Let's just, I guess, go over that. <laughs> I know Connor, well, so, has so, but yeah, James, go ahead. I, I was just going to say one thing at first. So just the title, Colonizer Jesus versus Historical Jesus, already sets up a clearly delineated dichotomy. Mm-hmm. And Colonizer Jesus, that adjective, colonizer, is an ad hominem. Mm-hmm. So already you dismiss everything in that category as evil mm-hmm. by using that. So historical Jesus, we live in an age of empiricism. So historical Jesus, that's already saying that everything under that category is objectively good mm-hmm. and objectively true because it's factual. And in an age of empiricism, facts are king. Yeah. So that's, that's part of my terms yeah positivism also as well i'm sorry go ahead no no that's fine that's 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 just one preliminary comment i felt uh, i felt the bile rising and needed to go ahead and release it right right connor you good yeah sure i I, i'll jump in here is um with when we're when we're looking at or talking about historical Jesus, I mean that in its sense, just as a as a literal phrase, there's nothing wrong with that. But if you've been uh, theologically engaged for any amount of time and you've dealt with mainline liberal scholars, uh, you'll find out very fast that historical Jesus is not actually about um, finding out who Jesus actually was. It's not actually, everyone believes that they're doing that, but the historical Jesus camp and the quest for the historical Jesus is not saying you guys were never concerned with historical Jesus. Now we care about historical Jesus, but what it is, is to say, um, we have a different answer to the question of who is the historical Jesus and how do we find him? Traditionally, the answer to that is read the scriptures, read the gospel, read the eyewitness accounts. But with the historical Jesus camp, they say, hmm, well, the thing about that is the scriptures are full of error and the church's testimony is all a lie. And that's the presupposition that they go in there with, with what's called higher criticism, higher critical method. Mm-hmm. And they start looking at the gospels and piecing it together. And they, they when they had this, uh, the Jesus seminar for this uh, huge quest for the historical Jesus, they had a game. Uh, and they had colors, a color-coded game, and they would say, I'm going to throw black in here for what's definitely not true, and uh, I forget the other colors, but, you know, let's say red for something that's questionable, or blue for something that likely happened, or green for something that definitely happened, and they had different ways of deciding, really arbitrarily, what they thought was legit in the text, mm-hmm. and the, the whole thing about this quest for the historical Jesus is more than anything. It's an adventure in unbelief in God's word. Um, and, uh, you know, as a, as a conservative Orthodox Christian, I find that repulsive. But I think the in the concrete here, at least with this meme, and also with the whole quest for the historical Jesus thing, is um, aside from, you know, denying miracles and denying the virgin birth and denying the death and resurrection and all such things, is when we get to, for example, just examples on this meme, like, um, um, let's see here, um, 
died for your sins and killed by church and state. That's just one example of something that the creator of this meme, the original poster of this meme, believes to be uh, mutually exclusive. They're the same thing, right? Indeed, the religious elite and the state over him put him to death. And it was for the forgiveness of your sins. Or, for example, being a king and then being lowly, having no place to lie his head, being poor, being destitute, and so on. These things are all about the paradox of the incarnation, mm -hmm. the paradox of the theology of the cross. And the historical Jesus, folks, turn all of that mm -hmm. on their head because, of course, they don't believe in the incarnation. They don't believe in the death and the resurrection. If they believe in the cross, it's only... Uh, for the sake of political revolution. Anyways, I, I've spoken too long. Yeah. But, uh... I think in, in historical Jesus research, uh, uh, there's been different, it has taken on different forms and there's been different phases of it and there's been different um, different quests, I guess. And um, of course, I, I know there's been been a past episode or two of Dal Protest who's, that have, that have uh, discussed that, you know, what these quests were, but essentially they're all very different. One was in the um, 19th century. Uh, probably the most respectable one was the second quest, which happened in the late 50s, early 60s. And then the third one, which I mean, is, is kind of more of an umbrella term, but it was these phases in the history of biblical scholarship where scholars became interested in getting to a Jesus behind the writings of the scripture, behind the gospel writings. Because as Connor said, um, there is that presupposition that we can at least fully trust what is written in the in the writings of the gospels or the you know right writings of the testament so um so you know i think generally the tendency and these have been the critics of the historical jesus quest generally the criticism of, and a lot of it's come not from conservative evangelicals but even from liberal christians themselves who have pointed out to these scholars that have wanted to basically reconstruct who Jesus really was behind the gospel text, basically saying, you know what, you don't really have anything besides the gospel text, well, and the New Testament text. Um, you don't have anything besides those, other than a basic fact that he that there was a person who lived in that, you know, you can go to the Josephus quote, who briefly mentions him, a Jewish historian who was not a uh, Christian. Um, so, but you, you can't really just read. And what, if you do try to do that, you're going to start imposing your own, your own desires and your own thoughts and your own ideas of who Jesus was. This was literally the, this was the critique of the, especially the first and third quests. I think people, recent scholars like Marcus Borg and N.T. Wright have both been accused of this. Um, the first sent the first quest people were I mean there was a guy named Albert Schweitzer and then Martin Kaler who in different ways uh, said this of the people in the 19th century who who went as far as writing like little biographies of the life of Jesus the real Jesus right um, and so yeah I mean now, now on one end I also think you know someone who uh, has been casually reading scripture and just been attending their church, you know, good faithful Christians, sometimes they do miss the fact that the, the importance of the first century context or the importance of the Jewish nexus, which Jesus lived in and, you know, um, having a better cultural understanding of the festivals and the customs that we are reading about the gospel. There's a lot to be said about 
why that to have a good historical knowledge of that stuff is good and can give us a a greater appreciation of Jesus um, on top of a surface level reading of the gospel. So it's like, I'm, I, I understand like that there's the, the historical research part. Um, it it had play does play an important part, but also the stuff I said a moment ago, what's up James? Well, that's, the trouble, that's the trouble with the Jesus seminar is when you do the voting process that Connor was mentioning earlier, what ends up happening is you create an idol because you you're saying i don't believe jesus said these things and you know you could say oh well the 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 problem is that the most original thing tends to be the most simple or uh the most original thing tends to be the harder saying but it ends up that the stuff that remains in the fifth gospel is stuff that they're okay with or things that seem so paradoxical that there's no part to it um for for the people who read it that's why they like the gospel of thomas because thomas is esoteric mm -hmm. and so <clears throat> the problem that i have with the jesus seminar and with that particular mentality of the quest for historical jesus is that it tries to rob jesus of his kingship mm -hmm. it tries mm -hmm. to rob jesus of the witness that we have about him in scripture because the people who are doing it are people who don't like the witness of scripture Right. If there's already a bias against it, call it the hermeneutics of suspicion if you'd like, but if there's a bias against scripture, I'm going to not trust what you're saying about scripture. Right. <laughs> like that's, that's deeply problematic. Because you recognize there is a bias, right? And there, right. and that's the thing that, okay. It, and that's the thing Karl Barth famously said, um, you know, who, who, who accepted and embraced historical criticism mm -hmm. he said you know that the problem with the historical critics is that they're not critical enough what he meant by that was that that if we cannot if, if you're not going to put your utmost faith in the witness of the scripture and the church's witness fine okay but if you're going to not put your faith in that don't put your faith in the shifting sands of historical scholarship which the trends are going to change every 30 years and they do change every 30 you know probably even right. less than that um and so it's it's almost like they're exchanging one, you know, they, they criticize, you know, placing absolute certainty in one thing, but then they go ahead and place absolute certainty in another. Right. And of course, Jesus seminar for our listeners is, is probably the most extreme example of the historical Jesus questing is people that literally decided in some in, in very in a very problematic methodological way uh what jesus said and did and then they determined something like you know 10 or 11 of the of anything in the gospels can actually be traced back to what jesus actually said and did, everything else is a embellishment or something like that it was it was probably the most extreme form and even like bart ehrman would say that jesus seminar is highly problematic and you know uh so but yeah uh but but they are they hit the popular level and they convince a lot of people back in like the 80s and 90s of their of their work and so they are, you know, an example of where this stuff can lead to, um, naturally. So let's get into breaking down the meme. Um, so for the first part, colonizer Jesus is white versus historical Jesus, who is a Middle Eastern brown-skinned person. What do y'all say to that? I mean, I think 
I mean, that's that's where the truth starts. <laughs> right. <laughs> That there has, of course, throughout time, been representations of Jesus that have been white and have been used to impose upon a particular people this picture of Jesus that he is the God of the white people. Right. Um, and there are still people today who view that as a kind of way, a tool to oppress others. I mean, if you look at the uh, you know, at, at K, the KKK or, or, or white supremacists of any stripe, the tendency is to want to view Jesus as the God of the white people and uh, of everyone else being subservient or, or um, beneath white people. But yeah. that still is a minority perspective. Right. So already you're trying to attack a flea. Like this is not exactly... This is not exactly the majority perspective of anybody, but right. I know of no as you can Christian. Tell, this has stoked my ire. <clears throat> right now, now I what I will you know, I know of no Christian, to my knowledge, that would that would insist that Jesus was white, like European white. Um, right. I don't know of any Christian who actually believes that. It's true that it's there's value to just having other depictions of. Jesus, I have, you know, in an online group, I've heard, I've seen some trollish types say that, you know, uh, not like a depiction of Jesus being black or Asian. I have no problem with Jesus being depicted in any race. Um, but I, overall, I think outside of those internet trolls, and there's always going to be internet trolls, I don't know of anyone I've met who would insist that Jesus was, was white. I, I just haven't. Yeah, and on on the note of other different different cultures depicting the incarnate God in a way that is like us and mm -hmm. with us is no nobody is ever offended by those. They're only ever offended by white Jesus, mm -hmm. and it doesn't have to do with the historical inaccuracy. It has to do with the stigma about white people. Mm -hmm. So it has nothing to do with Jesus whatsoever. It's not offensive. It's actually a very beautiful, artful depiction of the incarnation mm -hmm. that any people of any different ethnicity can depict God with us in a way that looks like us. Um, and, and so I, I just laugh when I see it. No one cares. Like, no, no one really cares Most unless yeah. you're at the Jesus seminar. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, very, yeah, very few people care or are bothered um, by it. Now, I'm in favor of, you know, as more stained glass windows are made, which in our day and age, I mean, they're not made like they used to be. I am totally in favor of uh, Jesus, of, of, more, of having a more variety of color complexions as he's depicted. Totally in favor of that. Some of, some of the best pictures of Jesus I've seen are uh, ones where he is not white looking. So, but... I, I don't don't know of anyone who really gets bothered by by Jesus, however he's depicted, as long as he's obviously depicted in in a you know good good way. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. well, should we go to the next point? Oh, this next point. Oh, I have some things to say to that. The next one: <laughs> colonizer Jesus is Christian versus historical Jesus who is Jewish. Ooh, so. <laughs> James, you, I can't, your mouth I can't say this definitively, but I'm fairly certain no one has ever thought Jesus was Christian. 
Well, it depends on what we mean by by Christian. Almost, I mean, I mean yes, he believed in himself. Okay, so yeah, he, yeah. Christian's a follower of Jesus, and of course, um, the term Christian, and I don't have my Greek New Testament. Um, it's about six feet away from me, but the term Christian first shows up uh, in the book in of Acts, Acts yeah. twice, um, and also in First Peter um, four sixteen. Uh, referring to people who follow Jesus. So of course, I mean, does Jesus follow himself? Like James said, I mean, that's kind of a weird way to look at it. He does uh, definitely model for us following the father, right? Mm -hmm. um, and of course, yes, he was doing now historically, there have been particularly in German theology for a certain period of time, which culminated in Nazi ideology. Uh, there was uh suppression of the fact of jesus's ethnic uh jewish ethnicity but i don't outside of that um crazy ideology i don't know of any one who, who wouldn't who would deny that jesus was jewish um you know what were you gonna say connor <clears throat> yeah when I when I come across stuff like this, again, it, it's usually not actually dealing with what it, it is literally about. And usually when people are making the assertion, whether they're from this historical Jesus camp or just some kind of uh, progressive liberal theological camp or whatever it is, it, it usually has nothing to do with the, histori the historicity or the... Um, temporal chronology of Pentecost and Jesus's life, it always has to do with, as they flesh this out, their disbelief that Jesus actually believed himself to be the Messiah, the Son of God. And yeah. it has yeah. to do with the messianic secret theology, right? right? So, yeah. And I'm, I mean, obviously, uh, the, the ter terms like Lord, terms like Messiah are totally, have, and they have no value or meaning if you don't know the Jewish background to it um you know Christians believe Jesus is Jewish um and of course there's the Christians have, have had to carefully navigate this especially in kind of the post-Holocaust sensitivity we have of you know or do we are we want to avoid supersessionism which basically says um everything about Judaism ends and Christianity begins but we also want to avoid double covenant well some some christians actually don't want to avoid either of those but um you know it basically I, the theologian wolfhart pannenberg he's he's fresh in my mind only because i've been doing coursework on him right now uh, at ilt pannenberg said you know an honest an honest exegesis of scripture um you know an honest biblical theology shows that uh israel um is more than Israel is is some something that transcends any one ethnic group. Uh, the new, not the new, but Israel is the is the people of God, and through Jesus, there is a grafting, I guess, of what Israel is, which involves those who are, um, you know, reborn into life with Christ. It's 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 the messianic fulfillment of Jesus um is is really just the continuation and the fulfillment of of judaism now some people hear that and they think well that sounds problematic like you know but i mean that's that's exegetically that's what you know 
that's that's an honest read of the new testament so doesn't luther take the church back either to abraham or to adam right um yeah so the perspective is that just because the church or just because followers of jesus are grafted into the the stump of jesse doesn't mean that everybody else is crowded out like god doesn't renege on a covenant that he makes with his people that's why we're not supersessionists um one of the ways that i've said it before is that um and you can edit this out if you don't think it's appropriate but one of the ways i've said it before is that when christ returns he's going to look like the messiah that the jewish people have been expecting since the very beginning and so right. they see him and they yeah. are excited because he is the Messiah that they've been looking for. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, um, you know, before then, it's our desire that God cultivates faith in their hearts and that they uh, know Jesus. Um, uh, they come to faith through hearing. But, but I mean, Israel, the people of Israel, not the country of Israel, are, are still God's people. I mean, he still, he still claims them. Right. Um, yeah. Well, let's go to the next one. Colonizer Jesus is patriotic. Historical Jesus is colonized by Rome. So for this one, I'd say the historical Jesus side is, is correct. Jesus lived in a time when the Roman Empire had a hold of that whole Mediterranean world, and he lived in essentially Roman province um yeah jesus he's not jesus isn't patriotic in the sense of being like pro america or pro any nation for that matter although he recognized the special covenant made with the people of israel like we just talked about um while also expanding the sense of what israel was and and he of course clearly associated with and ministered to gentiles as well so um uh importantly israel is not really even then a nation in the sense of even how we see a nation today i mean we, we have to understand like the, the the concept of nation has evolved and it's it really gets its start i would argue in like um medieval times when you know the kingdoms developed as they did and there was a sense of the hundred years war kind of solidified there is an england and there is a france you know um there's some continuity of course but you know it, you know so jesus of course he, uh israel or the the people of god is a collective body of people and i guess it if you ever if you wanted to make a strange case of jesus the patriot in my opinion uh i want to hear your thoughts on this too obviously but uh you you would have to you could say like well jesus of course you know stands for his own his sheep you know um but that's about it i mean i would say yeah jesus was yeah colonized by rome well and there's a disturbing trend in um in the last couple of years with the development of patriotic churches i don't know if y'all followed this especially in the u.s connor so um with people especially during the the presidency of former president donald trump there have been a number of folks who have banded together to create patriotic churches so again this has a kernel of truth sure yeah to it, but you're again dealing with a minority position um and, and so when you're trying to make the minority position into something larger than it is that's that's a problem 
Um, Jesus was obviously a member of the people of Israel, was obviously under Roman occupation, but what truth claims come from that? Like, what, what is that trying to convey? <laughs> That's where we start to get into to trouble waters again. Right. So, yes, if you say objectively Jesus was a member of the people of Israel, was born into a, a Roman-occupied Israel, then yes, that's objectively true. Mm -hmm. But the moment you try to draw meaning from that, that's when we're going to have divergent opinions again. Right, right. What say you, Connor? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you know, I think it's funny because, again, really like as with almost all of these not all of them but almost all of them the problem and what the author of the meme is getting at is not actually what's here at face value but it's this thing that's far away from christ and only tangentially connected to evangelicals in america at a certain time that the author of this meme did not like and that's trumpism and whatever else americans call it or whatever like in canada we don't have this problem even with our <laughs> fundamentalists right so it's funny to me that 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 this is like being connected to colonizer jesus or colonistic jesus or whatever but what what else is funny to me about this is it's the absolute absurdity that one would have to have to call the God of all people, of all nations, of all tribes and all tongues, patriotic. What does that even mean? Even though he was born a Jew, he expressly said time and time and time and time again, my kingdom is not of this world. Mm -hmm. And what's, I, I suppose, a little bit ironic is especially if one takes into account the prophecy of the rock. Uh, in Daniel, crushing the kingdoms of all the world. Mm -hmm. He really is kind of colonizer Jesus, and he's coming to take over this world with the kingdom of God, so to speak. But that is the most anti-patriotic claim that one could make about the kingdoms of this world, right. unless one is a Zionist, and I, I'm not. So, Right. Yeah. right. That's a good point. Um, the next one, uh, colonizer Jesus is about justice through retribution. Historical Jesus is about justice through restoration so this one i think is also particularly problematic because the very next point under colonizer jesus is died for your sins how can you die for the sins of a person if justice is achieved through retribution mm -hmm. that doesn't make any sense right so uh this is again a mischaracterization of orthodox christianity and it does it does us a disservice because it's trying, it's trying to create this, this mentality of legalism while also lampooning um, Orthodox atonement theology. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I, one thing I've noticed about a lot of these simplistic reductionist things that come out of, you know, I'll just say they come out of like a very progressive Christian wing of Christianity, is that this progressive Christianity can't really handle paradox too well. I mean, they can't handle that God is actually for justice through retribution and justice through restoration, and that God gives himself as the retribution, right? right? Um, and of course, that gets into our next, you know, I'll wait to speak more on this till we get to the next point uh, about dying for one's sins and atonement, but that is so obviously 
uh, spoken of in the New Testament canon that um, that certain sense wrath was appeased and that definitely there was some type of deficiency that humans could not correct on their own and God gave himself um, in place of us. I mean, that, that's, you know, we'll get into atonement in a little bit, but, but that is clearly some, it's, it's in the New Testament in so many places. So, you know. Yeah, it's, it's, it's in places like this and the next one where you see the false dichotomy is at, at its most obvious and most poignant that it's unmistakably clear what the presupposition of this OP mm-hmm. was, right? Mm-hmm. They're coming here with the huge presupposition that the entire New Testament is wrong. It's a fabrication. It's a mythology, as I was saying at the beginning of the uh, episode, for the purpose of oppressing other people and to be used to harm others. If you don't come with that, then you're going to recognize that the New Testament on its own terms speaks of both justice and this whole thing about Christ's death being for the forgiveness of your sins, as well as Jesus' own being oppressed by the religious entity and the state above him, that this is a paradox. It's not, it's not a dichotomy. And so what, what unbelievers have to do is they come to these things that the New Testament says, yes, and, and they say, no, it has to be an either or. It has yeah. to be uh, this kind of dichotomy or else I can't reject it, right? And I have to reject it because otherwise I can't turn off Pornhub or whatever they're doing here. <laughs> so. right. right. The next one, bringing us right in, colonizer Jesus died for your sins, but the historical Jesus is the friend, oh wait, sorry, is killed by the church and state. Again, kind of a false dichotomy, but I want to go to the second one about historical Jesus killed by the church and state. So Again, our notions of church and state are different from the first century context. Um, first off, the church, uh, I think the meme maker, the OP maker was thinking, he just labeled the religious establishment of Jesus' state as the church. Um, the church are those who recognize Jesus as Messiah, not the certain Jewish leaders who initially plotted against him, which led to his death by the Roman Empire, which you could call state. Um, but even if you want to very in, in a, improperly say killed by church and state, which has a kernel of truth, that doesn't mean that he didn't also die for your sin or our sins, right? And part of the beauty of that, you know, is, of the passion narrative is that our our sin, our frailties, our brokenness, our wanting to go our own way, the imperfections of all humanity as a whole manifests itself in that narrative as both as the people who put Jesus to death, both on the Jewish and Roman sides, right? it is through their blindness that Jesus died, but it's a blindness we all have as humans. As scripture says, no one is righteous, not one, but Jesus Jesus died for sinner. And I mean, again, in the New Testament, we can only, it's, it's all over now. 
I'm just going to read some passages from scripture from the New Testament, which clearly speak of Jesus dying for our sins. Now, the people of, of like-minded with the OP of that meme might say this is merely proof texting. And, I, and I, <laughs> it's always a frustration when um, people get accused. I think there is such thing as proof texting, which means to pull a verse out of the scripture completely isolated from context or, or further layer of meaning or where you'll miss layer, layers of meanings. But also quoting chapter verse isn't always proof texting because we have um, the scriptures, there's scriptures big. And because later on the church added numbers, chapter numbers and verse numbers in order for us to um, more quickly access and locate something written and attested in scripture, that's a good thing. <laughs> so there's nothing wrong with finding through chapter and verse. I just want to put that disclaimer out here so that, you know, because I think the proof text, the, the, the proof texting accusation does, doesn't always hold up. But for instance, 2 Corinthians 5.21, there's the chapter and verse. Paul writes in this letter, which, when does 2 Corinthians date to? 54 to 55. So not long after um, Jesus' ministry. For our sake, Jesus made, or he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. First John 2 verse 2, he is the appropriation for our sins, not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. First Peter 3.18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit um so those are just several verses for even in mark the earliest gospel for even the son of man came not to serve but to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many now there's different you know there's different ways um this idea of jesus dying for sins is articulated but they i mean just within the first century i mean this goes back to the Bart's quote, the historical critics aren't always critical enough. You can't like this modern notion that, well, Jesus didn't die for your sins. This doesn't hold up to the first century notion that found its way into the various writings that made their way into the New Testament canon, that Jesus is someone who dies for the sins of someone, right? <laughs> it's, right. So it's... Um, I just don't know. I mean, when people want to throw out this idea of Jesus dying for your sins, sorry, people, it just doesn't work um, because it's it's all over the earliest witnesses we have of people who followed and believed in Jesus. It's not some later church colonial, um, you know, narrative. It's it's an it's an early early belief. So I, I would say that um, I agree with Doug Moo, biblical scholar, who's written rather a lot of commentaries. Um, I, I agree with him that Galatians is the first of Paul's letters. I think it makes the most sense. Mm -hmm. He says Galatians was written roughly in 48 AD, which puts it before the gospel according to Mark. Okay. And in Galatians, Paul explains uh, justification by faith. He explains the reality of Christ dying uh, for us vicariously 
for us. If there is no meaning behind that vicarious death, why would Paul explain it in such a way? And this is roughly what, 18 years after Jesus was crucified? Mm-hmm. This is the earliest belief of the church that Christ was crucified for the sins of the world. And the gospels attest to that. Mm-hmm. You know, the canon of scripture is univocal. So what we're dealing with is a difference between one is talking about the method by which Christ was crucified. And the other was dealing with the purpose. Mm-hmm. Yes, Christ was crucified by the prevailing authorities, by the Roman authorities, but he was not crucified to be a martyr against empire. Christ was crucified <laughs> for the sins of the whole world. While we were yet sinners, Paul says in Romans 5, 8, Christ died for us. Like this is the purpose of, of Christ's incarnation and his death. So to say anything else is it, it just, it does violence to the text of scripture. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, and I just noticed the time, James, I know you need to go and how much. Okay. I, I, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I, good? Okay. I just, uh, I just quietly sent a message. So uh, I'll stay on. I think this episode break. might just take up this one meme. <laughs> it's fine that's fine we always come back to the other one if we need to um that we were going to talk about later but it's all right so um oh anything on this Connor? yeah you know i i think it's i think it's important that we recognize here again um assuming that this memes uh op had any kind of familiarity with the scriptures or the gospels is dating of books aside right it is mis unmistakable unmistakably obvious even that Jesus time and time and time and time again prophesies of his death not only for the sake of others but literally by the hands of the Pharisees the scribes the chief priests and Rome yeah mm-hmm. and so when when you look at that and to say mm-hmm. that this is the colonizer Jesus that is a statement against the inerrancy of scripture in the harshest of terms to say even those red letters there those are not legit those are made up yeah Mm -hmm. so i think i think we need to be super vigilant here as christians when we're interacting with folks who are making claims like these that seem almost innocent they seem almost like almost like a a a revolutionary maybe non-violent look at the atonement and it's like no, this is not a revolutionary, nonviolent look at the atonement. This is an attack on scripture uh, in like really very clear terms because they're juxtaposing or sorry, they're making a false dichotomy between dying for your sins and being killed by the state and by the religious uh, institution. And it's like, what? no, this, Jesus says it's both, right? right. So... Right. Well, and the folks that tend to say this kind of stuff also tend to say that Jesus died to be a moral example for us, like his purpose was to be a moral example. Well, if his purpose was to be a moral example and the cross was somehow supposed to make us better people, then why do we suck so bad at it still? Like, <laughs> that's, you know, where's, where's the evidence? You know, what, what about the, the, the Wendy's commercials from the 80s? Where's the beef, Right what are where where's the proof that we're better people by by the cross in point of fact that's not the point mm-hmm. yeah the, the point is that christ said to die because you're not going to become better people right yeah <laughs> right right but even like even if you put like biblical inerrancy aside i feel like any like really critical atheist person who wants to identify 
what those closely associated with Jesus and the early movement of people who knew him, they would have to like they would have to go with what found its way into New Testament writings versus what later modern people are imposing. I mean, like, I guess that's what Luther would call the external clarity of scripture, right? You don't need to be a Christian to get the external clarity, you know? Right. Um, yeah, you might not be able to, uh, you know, unpack some of the more obscure seeming things. I'm almost quoting this passage from Bondage of the Will, but you can um, clearly read what is meant, right? So. <laughs> Let's go to the next one. Uh, colonizer Jesus is silent in the face of oppression while historical J Jesus liberates the oppressed. Did we skip send sinners to hell and friend of sinners? And oh, again? yes. No, that one's better. That one's no, that's not bad. That is a we, we could get more out. We could really unpack that one. I skipped one. Sorry, listeners. Uh, the next one was actually colonizer Jesus sends sinners to hell while historical Jesus is the friend of sinners and outcasts. I would say, yeah, Jesus is uh, both. Um, <laughs> so I think it's important though, that um, we do recognize Jesus is the sinner, is the friend of sinners and outcasts because we are sinners and outcasts, right? I think that's the beauty of the grace of God. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think, yeah, they would, they are making a point. And sometimes we, in some more legalistic Christian settings, uh, a lot of Christian leaders in those settings will revert to being like how a lot of Pharisees were acting that Jesus critiqued, you know, that um, God is not on the side of those who do not live righteously. Um, and who criticized Jesus for hanging out with sinners now. So I get where that comes from, but also, um, again, we can recognize paradox here. There is also, Jesus speaks uh, of hell. I know people debate that, what does he mean by it? But he does speak of hell um, more often than a lot of other things that people would make, some people would prefer Jesus talks about. Well, and I think, I think, so, so this is definitely going for shock value, send sinners to hell. And I think that part of what that does is it, it reduces um, the, the debate between single and double predestination. So I, I tend to be more on the single predestination side because I, I think that double predestination runs the risk of digging too deep into the hidden God. Mm -hmm. But single predestination would say that God doesn't send sinners to hell. He just lets them go. And in their hardness of heart, that's where they end up. Mm -hmm. That is their, that is their uh, ultimate um, decision. Now that I'm saying decision theology is good because I don't believe that either. Um, <laughs> right. I know what you mean. I know but, what you mean. But, uh, but send sinners to hell, part of the problem is that you're assuming that God's cosmic prerogative is bad if he does something you don't like. 
right? And you don't have that ability to say that, you being the proverbial you. So saying that uh, this is somehow evil or bad, that some people end up in hell, just means that you don't have a God who's sovereign. And that's, that's not the God that's revealed in scripture. That's not the God that we worship. So that's, a, that's, that's the problem, I think. Right. Or even a God that would want to save, because that's, that's really where all of this comes down to when, you, when you're like in, in a fleshed out conversation with someone who genuinely like holds these convictions and says, Jesus would never send anybody to hell. He's the friend of sinners and is making all of these very funny to, to be honest, uh, false dichotomies is like, well, what do you think? What do you think people who have a traditional view of hell are saying about God in relation to these sinners? M almost like at least 95% of Christians who maybe even more who hold a traditional view of hell do not believe that God wants anybody to go. There. And he says so himself. I would not that any would perish, but that all would repent and come, uh, come to eternal life. Yeah. I mean, we have, for example, um, this question of how, how, how do people get to hell? Why do people go to hell? And there's different ways of sorting that out. So, I mean, you could, yeah, you can look at it with, um, you know, infralapsarianism and superlapsarianism and single and double predestination. You can look at it with intuitive fidei. You can look at it with a, a Bartian view of election or whatever. But at the end of the day, almost everyone, no matter what position, has to affirm the words, you know, I would have taken you under my wing, but you would not. And it's like, well, there you go. Uh, just there's just the evidence in the scriptures is replete yeah. that God does not want anybody to go to hell, but people would love to go to hell rather than to dwell with him for eternity. And and honestly, that like this attitude that's coming off of this meme and that this meme like exudes is that attitude that would rather go to hell than hang out with colonizer Jesus. Right. <laughs> well, let's be honest. Any first century jewish apocalyptic prophet or one who sees himself as that even if he's just not really the messiah but he's just going around raving and ranting is going to believe in hell <laughs> so it's like <laughs> right <laughs> i mean if you want to talk about historical jesus right um you know, what, what's the background uh, for, for John the Baptist saying every tree that does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire if we're not talking about hell? Right. Yeah, unless that was added there by the colonizers, of course. Oh, right. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's go to the next one. Uh, colonizer Jesus. Yeah. This is the one I skipped to earlier. Silent in the face of oppression while historical Jesus liberates the oppressed. Um, what does oppression mean yeah i'm not even gonna give much thought to it. it's just silly but i mean again trying to be charitable here but well he does liberate the ultimate people from the ultimate oppression of sin and sin. i would Death say i mean people we're in a day and age where people talk about systemic sin and i do think there is such thing i mean i'm not gonna get political here but i do think that but that is a, i attribute that to the reality of sin which jesus's death and resurrection life death and resurrection frees us from um and it's the difference between symptoms and causes right, right. so the main the cause of sins plural <clears throat> is the force of sin mm -hmm. so the the reality of the cross 
is that Jesus conquers the force of sin, death, and the devil. He is victorious over those forces that oppose God. Mm -hmm. He's cutting the tree up from the roots. He's destroying the power of sin. So to say Jesus doesn't address the symptoms of sin, which are moral failings that we commit, is to completely, again, completely miss the point. Jesus cuts it off at the roots, and the tree is dying and will be dead in the resurrection of the dead. But as of now, those things remain, and we, you know, we're, we're only going to see them finally defeated when Christ comes in power and glory. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I would really add to that, like, just to just to put it a little bit more explicitly is that uh, this this comes straight out of um, social gospel tendencies is to view the liberation of oppression as a political thing of this world when again time and time and time and time again Jesus keeps saying it's not of this world it's not of this world and mm -hmm. uh, he th we lose something very Paul Pauline when we lose that, which is the ability to, for example, say amen to the book of Philippians, where you have people who are suffering, who are in chains, who are slaves even, and say, uh, take heart because you have been liberated. And I think one of the darkest things, and there's not really all that much that has to be said about it, but one of the absolute darkest things about the social gospel is the fact that if it's true, that means that Jesus failed and you are your own savior and that even God cannot liberate the oppressed because he did, right? Right. right. Yeah, right. That's and, I the post what, and I get what the critique is. I mean, the, the and I think it's overblown, but because um, I think of any group in this empirical reality, it's been Christians who have put forth the most effort in uh, healing in the world and, and mending brokenness in the world and helping the poor. And I mean, gosh, it's like your local parishes are almost the lifeblood of of welfare in um, welfare in the true sense. So, um, you know, we're not saying it, uh, you know, there's always more to do. Um, but so, so I think that the critique here is trying to say that, you know, it's easy for a Christian to say, well, because I'm saved and going to heaven, um, I don't need to worry about the earthly plight of others. And of course, um, we, we all can get fall into a complacency, I suppose. But um, on the other end, when you just reduce salvation to mean alleviating the hardship of other people in this world, you're reducing it to, you know, just this something that, yeah, you're just reducing it to, I don't know, someone speak more of that. What, what is it being reduced to when you're just, when we just say that's what salvation is? I don't get the question. <laughs> when we're saying that we, when salvation is merely just alleviating the hardship of people. Yeah, I would say it's being, I, 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 I wouldn't say it's being reduced. I'd say it's being completely changed. Okay. Um, because, and the, the reason that I would say that is the earlier point you made that like, of course, the church is not sitting by in the face of, of oppression, as so many people think that it is. Right, right. Um, and neither did Jesus. But the fact of the matter is that the thing that's over here, it says he liberates the oppressed. If that's understood politically, he didn't. Like he didn't, he didn't stay silent. He rebuked it. 
but he didn't liberate anybody politically speaking. Right. And so unless this is to be translated from colonizer Jesus to historical Jesus into colonizer Christians and what the church should be, like, is this, uh, the question I think is important is, is this about Jesus or about the church? Mm -hmm. And if we take the meme at face value, then it would have to be about Jesus. Mm -hmm. And frankly, he didn't liberate anybody in a political, like not even anybody, not even one person did he liberate in a political sense. Well, when we get to the later point on how historical Jesus subverts empire, we're really going to finish that thought out. <laughs> but well, so, let's go so on. One, one thing I just wanted to mention is that, <clears throat> so again, part of the problem with taking this perspective is that it can tend to colonize in and of itself. Mm -hmm. So like the Ethiopian Orthodox Church, the Tewahedo, I think, I don't remember exactly how you pronounce it, I think I said, Pontius Pilate is a saint. Mm -hmm. He is a saint in their denomination. Isn't Judas so, as well? I, I, maybe. I, um, I, I disagree with them on that, of course, but that's <laughs> just me. But, but there, I, mean, I probably would disagree about Pontius Pilate too, because it would take some mythologizing to arrive at a place of faith. But, but the, the problem is that when you're saying that uh, Jesus was all about kicking Rome out, you are minimizing other people who do not have white skin, their perspective, their theology. And that is exactly, like, I, I remember in seminary, um, someone uh, in, my, in my class um, took a very paternalistic perspective toward the global South about human sexuality. He said, oh, well, eventually they'll learn. And this was in a mission class. <laughs> so like, immediately is like wait so what you're doing is exactly what we're talking about not doing in this class which is trying to impose a very particular perspective on this group that's not you know not what the gospel is teaching <laughs> so like th this is this is uh this is the trouble that that we have um yeah and, and in that same and in that same way too, if the gospel and Jesus was all about kicking Rome out of Jerusalem, then that is like by definition a patriotic and nationalistic uh, mission that he would have. Right, right, right. It's like they say he's not a patriot earlier, but then they say uh, then they basically like make him a, a patriot, you know, a zealot because that's what the zealots were. They were the they were the ones who, right. you know, right um so the next one um and this was they kind of repeated themselves but colonizer jesus condemns sinners historical jesus critiques religious people um they we kind of said i came not for the healthy but for the sick <laughs> yeah like, just, you're not reading scripture Mm -hmm. yeah or or john three eighteen. you know i did not come to condemn the people because they were already condemned you know there's nothing i could do to to make their situation any worse you're all dead in your right. sins and trespasses mm -hmm. right exactly and he critiqued the religious establishment um but yeah. that doesn't mean that that doesn't mean like that's not an, that's not an abstract idea that all religious establishment needs to be always critiqued you right know. and it's really just a bad law gospel distinction like if they had the law gospel distinction 
under wraps, then it's easy to to say, yeah, well, all people are already condemned by their works and actions, and the religious establishment too, and then they would they would not have had again this false dichotomy yeah. here. Mm -hmm. Uh, next one, colonizer Jesus endorses church and state. Historical Jesus subverts empire. Uh, so I was going to pull up uh, uh, for, you know, a few years ago, there was a book written called Zealot. This book is just mm -hmm. mentioned. Reza Aslan. Re Reza Aslan, who was a, um, had a, you know, was not a historical Jesus scholar, but he was a religion scholar, and he wrote a, a kind of a, a popular book, well, it was popular, I guess, it was, but he made a big splash with this book that claimed that Jesus was, in fact, that was his mindset to subvert the earthly empire, and um, there is a, I, I'm going to put the link in the show notes, there is a a scathing review of this book from Jewish book reviews. It wasn't even Christian who took on this. It was Jewish book review did a uh, critique of this or a book review of this book. Um, and I'll just put the show in the show notes because, um, but it is just points out all the problems with Aslan's work. And Aslan's not original to that. that, that there was a British scholar in the 60s named uh, SGF Brandon. I don't know what SGF initials stand for, but he first proposed that Jesus was actually among this first century group called the Zealots who wanted to subvert the Roman Empire. But again, going back to this whole, like, if you're trying to get out of Jesus out, be, apart from what we see in the gospel writings, you're just kind of imposing what you want, you know, you, what you want on to Jesus. So, um, yeah, it's he's is he is does he critique? I mean, it, there is a sense that, especially as we read through Revelation, um, that there is um, that there is a sort of imperial critique in the New Testament, um, but it is not something. It's it's not like a political revolutionary way of critiquing empire. It is a cosmic way of critiquing empire and. I'd also recommend uh, the work from a historical Jesus scholar, Martin Hengel, New Testament scholar, who wrote a book, short book called Was Jesus a Revolutionist, which I'll put a a, in the show notes as well. I mean, these are actual, I just gave links to actual scholars, actual, you know, people with expertise who can dispel this myth of Jesus, the political revolutionary who wants to sub subvert empire. Right. Yeah, and, and also those critiques are side by side his calls for his followers to be in humble submission to all authorities as well as Paul's. <clears throat> right. There is um, you know, that the if we read the New Testament, we are to be obedient. Um I would interpret in, obedient insofar as I guess when, when you're being compelled to denounce Christ or your faith, that that's when you know the the the, the line is drawn. But yeah. Um, even imperfect governments, no government's perfect. I mean, it goes back to Augustine's argument. Reformers called this two kingdoms. You know, I mean, no state authority is perfect, but it doesn't always mean you have to overthrow it. <laughs> you know, <Right>. so. <laughs> yeah. Anything else on this? <clears throat> well, and earthly justice, too, I think is subjective. Mm -hmm. 
because one person's justice is another person's vengeance. Right. And it's very easy for us to talk about justice, 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 but we're doing so still as sinners. So it's always going to be about curving in on ourselves and getting what we want. It's not justice when we get tried and convicted of something. It's justice when somebody who has done something to us gets tried and convicted. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's, I, I think, um, another failure of, uh, of the modern progressive uh, turn in, uh, in Christianity is, is that really what it does is just reinforces uh, in curvatus in se. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, shall we move on to the next one? How much more time you got, James? <laughs> uh, I can stay on till the end, I think. Awesome. Um, so uh, the next one, colonizer Jesus is a king, but historical Jesus is a homeless man and a child refugee. Okay. I'm going to like, uh, I'm going to like breaking this one down because uh, there's some stuff to be said here. And you guys got uh want to say something first i was gonna say you're looking like you say something if if i would say anything it would simply be this is just a very simple false dichotomy both can be true both of god incarnate and any other king you can be born a child refugee and be homeless and then become a king later in life so but even so with with again as i said earlier like this just has to do with a lack of understanding in the paradox of the incarnation and the theology of the cross and the suffering and pain of god as you know what just blanket recommendation go out and buy akita mori's book uh, the pain of god and then stop making horrible memes like this <laughs> Connor, send me send me the uh, info on that i'll put it in the show notes um, all right i was gonna say read the book of hebrews for this one i mean mm-hmm. right jesus has talked about as a king again a cosmic dimension of a king uh and again yes someone right even like there can be an old medieval tale about someone who went from rags to riches who was homeless and a child refugee and a king right this is, a this is just that drake song on a common yeah, right. <laughs> on a commonsensical level, this doesn't have to be opposed to each other. Um, well, but well, and what what what's being? I'm sorry, go ahead, Drew. I was gonna say the child refugee parts actually. There's truth to that. But a lot of people see it as like Jesus was born a refugee. No, again, I saw this. Whole, this was a few years ago. The meme about you know, and it was politically motivated. You know, you can't be against. Uh, immigration because jesus was a refugee well yes but he was a refugee when joseph had to take them to egypt not when they went to bethlehem i know like oh i'm being you know i'm nitpicky here but i mean it does show that people who again i'm trying to be charitable but the the people can be so motivated and so ill-read in scripture that they will share this virally but you know, with the depiction of the manger scene in Bethlehem, this is the refugee baby. I'm like, no, that's the baby's father's hometown, earthly father's hometown, where he is now being born. This refugee part comes later when the family's told they have to go to Egypt to flee from Herod uh, for some time, and they do. So, they're, they're, yes, he's a refugee in that instance. So, again, it's 
you know, it's, it's, it's okay to say stuff, but just know biblically why that is. <laughs> and if it's not biblical, if you can't derive it biblically, it's like, then you have, there's no basis to say it. So. Well, and, and, and why, so, so the, the, what we're dealing with is moving goalposts here. Mm-hmm. So they read this regulatively, but they don't read other things regulative, regulatively. So they read that we need to be kind to refugees because Jesus was a refugee, but then Christian sexual ethics are viewed as, you know, vestiges of a bygone past. Hmm. Why, why can you have one and not the other? And why, why do you read this exclusively as we need to be kind to refugees when the point that scripture itself makes is that Jesus descended into Egypt to fulfill scripture out Mm -hmm. of Egypt. I have called my son. Mm -hmm. Like this is Jesus enacting the new Exodus and the new Exodus is an Exodus out of sin into everlasting life. Right. Like that's the point. It's not Jesus was politically oppressed and therefore had to flee to a different country. And so we need to completely change every immigration law in our country based on one meme. Like that's, that's absolutely preposterous. That's what I mean when I say reductionist, like they're not taking into account the context in scripture. Mm -hmm. And if you'll pardon the pun, context is king, right? Context is king or queen. (laughs) (laughs) either or i don't care (laughs) well and and another thing another thing about this is that to to say that colonizer jesus is a king to say kingship is bad like the passion narrative is an enthronement narrative Mm -hmm. jesus has a purple robe placed on him a scepter placed in his hand a crown placed on his head he has a royal procession out of the city of jerusalem it's an inversion of a royal procession instead of coming from outside the city he goes from inside to the outside and the place where he is to sit on his throne in judgment is the cross. Christ mm-hmm. is enthroned on the cross. He is the king. When it says Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews, it's sarcastic, mm-hmm. but it is still speaking a word of truth that Jesus is the king. Isn't so it? good. And that's a level of profundity with um, the cross being the throne, right? Isn't that just the, right. the pr- profound, powerful, beautiful central message of christianity that should tell us not to throw the term king out with whatever bath water we may project onto king but to keep king as it really is Mm -hmm. who jesus is when that's the beauty of of first john 2 2 that you were talking about that jesus is the propitiation for our sins the word there is hilasmos and it comes from the word hilasterion which is the the, the mercy seat where God sits in judgment over the people of Israel on the top of the Ark of the Covenant. So Christ, when he is crucified, is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, but it is on the cross that he is seated in the mercy seat over the world. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, of course he's the king. Like, this is a foregone conclusion. No one ever thought he was not king until like the 19th century this is (laughs) is understood it's it's uh, you wouldn't have to cite it because it's just understood right yeah this is one of the many many things 
within this meme and within uh, theological influences that have, speak with the same voice is the only way they can say these things with a straight faith, unless they're entirely ignorant, is if they reject the inerrancy of the scripture, like, and, and in big ways, not to say mustard seeds are not the smallest, but to say, you know, that whole passion narrative was inserted there by colonists, mm -hmm. kind of doubting inerrancy. Yeah. Right. Right. There's different senses of how Christians use inerrancy, but I think, yes, I, I, I know that's a, that yeah that's why i said it's not about it's not about mustard seeds it's right, not about right. dates it's like you know the like entire gospel it's wrong yeah <laughs> right right <laughs> right it mustard yeah right that's mustard seeds aren't the smallest seeds yeah um uh yeah uh should we move to the next one sure um colonizer jesus holds traditional family unit historical jesus had half siblings <laughs> It's, it's funny because this is like a it's a trad argument too. That's right. funny. Right. Well, so this is the thing. Um, Emperor Virgo upholding tradition. It, they're basically saying here, like, okay, if Jesus was born of like a divorced woman and had a like, she had a second husband, and that's how he gets the half siblings. Yeah, that would be not a traditional family unit now disclaimer i'm this i my parents are divorced i have i have half siblings and uh we're all we all love jesus well we don't all love jesus but a lot of us do and um but um it's just like yeah they're they're basically they're not taking in that this actually why isn't the mary joseph jesus why isn't that a traditional family unit you know that's what i'm sensing behind they're really grasping here it's uh the, the op the original poster farley we've said op a lot but that's what it means they're really grasping for straws with this one but and the whole half siblings thing yes catholics would believe uh those are his cousins uh, a lot of Protestants would say they're half siblings, even though Luther and Calvin actually believe Mary was a lifelong virgin. We can talk about that if you want. I mean, but I mean, it's it's kind of this on the side. I mean, this whole thing here, they're just they're just really grasping here with whatever they're trying. Well, the, the thing the thing that I find fascinating is that like out of nowhere, a traditional Christology has popped up. Oh, really? Because because I mean, for Jesus to have had half siblings, that's that's recognizing that that jesus is the son of god <laughs> like right like that, that uh <laughs> yeah. that mary conceived by the power of the holy spirit at least that's the way i read it that, that's how so i like, read it too and because they want to marginalize jesus they have to say you know and also his his siblings are not from mary because otherwise he would be in a traditional family unit and that just doesn't jive with our agenda here right, right. yeah yeah Let's do the last. Colonizer Jesus endorses holy war. Historical Jesus is nonviolent. Except for that one time where he made a whip and, and whipped people out of the temple. So it was put there by the colonizers, James. Right, right. So I read an interesting article about that. Sure. I'm just going to zero in. Clayton Croy, who taught New Testament at... I'll put a show note to this article. He taught New Testament at a 
Trinity Lutheran Seminary, where I basically went to seminary because Bexley Hall, the Episcopal Seminary I went to, was there when I was there. Um, he wrote a really good article, fascinating, interesting. I mean, I'm not saying I agree with it or not, but where uh, if you look at the Greek carefully, that the whips only hit objects animals. and animals and that they didn't actually whip people, but it was kind of a intimidation. He, he was a, what's the word? Um, when you, when you strike a, you know, make a motion that, you know, ward someone off, but it next, I don't know. I mean, I would, I mean, I don't, I would, would like my Jesus not to whip people, but who knows, but um, <laughs> this whole thing in the meme, like it's, so yeah, nonviolent, even if he's like throwing tables over, many people could reasonably say that's violent. So yes, he had moments of violence if you define it that way. But I guess the bigger problem is the yeah, colonizer is endorsing holy war. I, again, I don't know of any I don't know of many Christians, kind of like with, I don't know many Christians who would insist that Jesus is white. I don't know many, many Christians who would, I have met some. I met some in the military when I was in the army. Most people in the army were not like this, but I did meet some who, who read the Bible like, you know, we were warriors for God. Um, it was kind of, it was a little bit disturbing to hear. Um, and I, I did sense some of that. Um, I'm going to blame Trump. I'm going to say back in the neoconservative time of the aughts, I saw some of that creeping type of theocratic um, feeling of that God, uh, that we are engaged in the holy war. Now, but I think most people, most people who are Christians and who are patriotic and who have supported a war here or there are not making the holy war justifications most they see war as an unfortunate tragic thing that is perhaps sometimes necessary um like world war ii i mean in order to really um keep to restore peace and order so mm -hmm. you know right and I, I was mainly joking about the whipping people in the temple because I actually think that Croy is onto something there. You think Croy's on? Yeah, I, I was. I thought it a, it was a compelling article. Um, you know. Well, and 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 so I mean, there are other areas um, like uh, where you know Jesus asks the disciples how many swords they have, and uh, they produce a couple, and he says it's enough. Well, the word for sword there is not the word for sword; it's the word for a multi like a multi-tool the thing okay. that you would use to cook with or cut cloth with or things like that not something you go into battle with it's, it's a right. short dagger type thing um and you know there there are other explanations for um for places where it might seem like jesus is engaged in violence but then you see the book of revelation where the horse or the the white the the, the rider wearing white on the white horse is coming and a sword is protruding from his mouth. Like Jesus is not nonviolent ultimately because ultimately he does violence against sin, death, and the devil. Mm -hmm. So again, punchy terms like nonviolent reduce to absurdity something that is far more complex. Right. So Jesus is violent against the right objects of violence. 
<laughs> sin, death, and the devil. Um, and holy war, again, are you talking about the Crusades or are you talking about Jesus warring against Satan? Because one of those is legitimately a holy war and it is a <laughs> legitimate war. Um, right. Another one of those is not. So, um, uh, again, I think we've beat to death the, uh, the, 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 the problem of memes conveying theology is that you cannot deal in nuance. Um, and when you make blanket statements, um, you end up getting smothered by that blanket. Right. Yeah. I like that. When you make blanket statements, you end up getting smothered by that blanket. That was on the spot. That was, that was, that was that's funny. amazing because that was really, you just literally made that up. I'm not made it up, but wow. Mm -hmm. Now let me run off and toot my own horn here. Yeah, you could become famous. <laughs> for that quote. Um, not quite. To God be the glory. To, yeah, to God be the glory. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, any last thoughts from any, I'm just, uh, I mean, we really beat it to death, but I think, I'm really thankful you both came on to do this because, um, wow. I mean, I, what, thank you. I mean, we, you know, my, my insights alone were, were not enough. I mean, I, having the three of us speak to why this immediately seeing this and probably a lot of people, a lot of Christians who may have seen it, like, wait a minute, this doesn't seem quite right. Right. Um, hopefully we gave voice to like people who may have come across this meme online um because again i see it i've seen it like you said i've seen it shared and it's usually on easter like every, every easter the past since 2019 or 2020 i've seen this like shared online i'm like oh gosh you know here we go again so um, and, and what's the message that th th this is this is i think the work of satan trying to trying to skew the message of easter that christ is risen from the dead trampling down death by death and upon those in the tomb bestowing life mm -hmm. and if there's another message that's proclaimed at easter whether on social media or in the pulpits it must be called out mm -hmm. that's the message we need to hear yep um sorry i, I got on my amen, brother for a no no amen amen all right well connor thanks for being on my pleasure my Over friends there was yeah uh james thank you again we'll have to do this again uh so well we may do it again because there's another meme out there we may break down in the future but we just didn't have time to today but um all right well god bless y'all um have a good morning have a good weekend uh for those listening we're recording this on a friday so uh and for our for our, our listeners our next episode well we, we we are going to have an episode in a couple weeks on i think three weeks on the Apocrypha and uh, its reception in the Reformation, particularly the English Reformation. So you're, if you're into that, we have an episode coming up. And this uh, summer, we're going to be doing some episodes on hymns. There's more to it than just those, but those are the for sure things on the horizon for Doth Protest too much. But thanks for listening. Make sure to um, uh, give us a rating on iTunes and, uh, or whatever uh, streaming platform you listen to this through. And take care.